0: John and Brittany both work at the local Pineapple Bees, a family restaurant in Georgia that prides itself on quality and service. John is a dishwasher and makes $7.25, the federal minimum wage. Brittany is a line cook and makes $12 per hour. John would never want Brittany's job. Too much responsibility. She must check food temperature constantly. She's always in training. And if someone complains about the meal, it's usually her job to answer for it. Tonight is the eve of the new federal minimum wage. President Biden is going to sign into law an increase. Twelve years since the last one to $15 per hour for U.S. employees. Everyone at Pineapple Bees is excited. The next morning, John and Brittany start their shifts. Everyone is a buzz about getting an increase because of the new minimum wage law. The assistant manager, Rita, calls employees into her office one by one, telling them their new hourly rate. Like clockwork. Every employee comes out of Rita's office with a raise. Brittany and John compare their raises at the end of their shift. Brittany got a $3 per hour raise to 15 and John got a $7.75 per hour increase to 15 How could that be? Brittany stormed back into Rita's office asking for an explanation. Surely my job was not equal to a dishwasher. This is illegal, she exclaimed. Rita got off the phone and sighed. It is legal, Brittany. The company lawyer just confirmed. Brittany could not contain her anger. Rita, I want to be a dishwasher now if I'm going to make the same as a line cook. Rita laughed and said, get in line. I just applied for the dishwasher job. (laughs) What you didn't know was I make 15 an hour as the assistant manager. I didn't get an increase when the minimum wage went up. So now we all make the same salary. This is not your typical commentary on minimum wage or its pros and cons. This is a conversation on how to apply minimum wage to abide by compensation, best practices, and widen the impact beyond just those who make below the minimum wage. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in depth discussions with well known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. Today, I'm having this conversation with Al Hassan El Barasi, who explains minimum wage how it's different from a living wage, and how to avoid wage compression. Ah, Hassan Al barasi welcome to the show. How are you today? Great. How are you doing? Ah, living the dream. Thank you for asking. I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. I think that uh, I really... Man, I've been excited for this conversation. You've changed the format of the show, and... I'm interested to see where this goes because we've got some good topics to talk about. You're an interesting guy. And I just, I think it's good to mix it up. So uh, what do you say we get this party started?
1: I'm honored. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> talk to me. Who are you and
1: what are you doing? I am the VP of HR or Total Rewards for a global company that manages call centers and business process outsourcing for government right now. But my history really is a, a, a reformed actuary I uh, kind of lost my path as a youngster and went down the actuarial science studies and got myself into all those exams and then realized quickly that's not uh, the life for me. But I kind of moved myself into uh, more generalized parts of benefits, HR and all compensation, HRS and, and payroll on my way back from the life of an actuary. But I'm happy now, uh, part of HR. I think you found your calling. Yeah. So I've got a part of
0: this show, I call it rapid fire, where I want to kind of get to know you on a deeper level before we really get into the meat and potatoes of our conversation. So if you're ready, I'm just going to start throwing out a couple quick questions and I'd like to get your response. Go for it. Early bird
1: or night owl? Uh, I'm an early bird. I like to get up and get it started on my day before everybody else does, whether it's a workout or work or breakfast, whatever it is, I prefer to get started before everybody else. Yeah, I'm with you. And and how do you quantify early? Four, five, six o'clock. That's usually to me uh, right when the sun's getting up as well. Four. How often is that happening? Not as much anymore during COVID. It, is, it was much more easier when I had a, a gym class at five. Oof, gosh. What kind of gym class? I was uh, full on into Orange Theory and the, the hit workouts. It was a lot of fun, huge, huge impact on my life and my family's life. We were all in it. But since COVID happened, we've done to uh, working out at home at our own leisure.
0: Yeah. I keep hearing about how great Orange Theory, they've taken a lot of the, I forgot what the workout of the day, that type of workout was, but I know that they were eating into their lunch because
1: people aren't getting hurt with the Orange Theory. They're just getting intense workouts exactly exactly no definitely it's a science behind working out and they've tried to convert that over during you know working out at home but it is the camaraderie and the coaching i think was the best part of it i I recommend it to anybody once everything comes back to normal but having that that coaching resource right next to you while you're working out made a big difference for us yeah talk
0: to me are you an introvert extrovert or would you kind of fall in the middle somewhere that, that what they call a centrovert
1: or ambivert I'm a hardcore introvert, but I have uh, compensating behaviors because I've realized being an introvert and keeping to myself isn't going to help me in my social life or my personal life as well as my career. So I wouldn't say I'm a, a converted extrovert or converted introvert, but really more of a, an introvert at heart with compensating behaviors, knowing that I have to step out of my comfort zone in order to make a difference or make a connection. Yeah,
0: I see a theme in your ability to be able to change.
1: Yeah. uh, Adaptability. I think that's the key here. And it'll be it's the theme, I think, of our our conversation today. Yeah. I'm a foodie and I want to know where your favorite place to eat pizza is. 32 Spring Street in New York, New York, if you can guess where that is. Is that John's? No, it's Lombardi's. Ooh, Not bad. Yeah. That is my favorite spot. If I'm anywhere in the New York, New Jersey area, I make sure I stop by there and pick up a pie. So, tell me something that most people would be surprised to learn about you. I am a table tennis champion. One of my things that I I enjoyed as a young, as on my own practicing was playing table tennis, and I really enjoyed it and excelled at it. It is a one-person sport that you you don't really have to rely on a team unless you're playing doubles. But I enjoyed it. It is fun. People are usually surprised that. To know that somebody as as stoic as I present myself to be is loves table tennis.
0: Oh, we actually, during COVID, that's something that we purchased. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of the things that kept us a little, you know, quasi sane, I should say.
1: Yeah. You know, I suggest watch some of the YouTube videos of the trick shots and what somebody can do with spinning the ball in different directions. It's amazing what can be done and kind of a, a metaphor for what people are capable of once you position their skills in the right direction. Oh,
0: I like that. Did you ever see the YouTube with Bruce Lee playing tennis, table tennis? Yes,
1: yes. he is ridiculous. That's, <laughs> that's the most insane thing I've ever seen. Bruce Lee doing anything is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the speed and accuracy that he brings to whatever he puts his mind to. Yeah. So, so for those that are listening, to put this into perspective, he's
0: playing table tennis with nunchucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God. So, all right, let's dig in. I've been looking forward to this regarding Rita and what we just talked about before I want to learn and I know you're the man that can help me and edify me on this about minimum wage what can you tell me I'd love to get some facts a little background to explain what federal minimum wage is and how
1: it works so it's it's federal minimum wage is you know not a an old concept it's only recently I mean 1938 was when it was uh, established it was a quarter back then. It came to be around the the Fair Labor Standard Fair Labor Standards Act, but you know, around exemptions and who is paid hourly, who gets overtime, things like that, which gave employees protections beyond just minimum wage. It hasn't moved that much. It's you know, today at seven dollars and twenty-five cents. Uh that's the national federal minimum wage. Some twenty-one states have a higher minimum wage, which tells you a lot that the federal minimum wage hasn't kept up, that states have had to step up and push that minimum wage higher. But what I've seen over the last 10 years is that cities, counties, and and different authorities around the country are putting in their own minimum in living wages. The word living wage is kind of a a polarizing term. Minimum is considered subsistence. What's the minimum? It's not tagged or indexed to inflation or geography. So it's really a misnomer. Living wage is what people talk about, and that's really how much does it cost for me to live in a certain city or a certain state? Federal minimum wage is not a living wage and it's not meant to track what a living wage is. And unfortunately, federal minimum wage is the same across the country, which doesn't really apply to places like New York City compared to Alabama or Louisiana. So what we've seen over the past two or three election cycles has been fight for 15. President Obama had revised it to 1010, but again, that $15 an hour Floor as a federal minimum wage is gaining steam again with President Biden and his administration. He's already signed an executive order raising it to $15 over time for federal contractors. And that's usually a sign that it's going to come for everybody else pretty soon. So, given the previous
0: scenario, how does that work? Say it gets bumped up when everybody all of a sudden gets
1: $15 an hour. How is that going to affect Brittany? How is that going to affect Rita? So it's important to understand how it affects it by understanding how it was done before or what the wrong way of doing it before. The application of minimum wage in the past, because the jumps have been so small, was just raising the floor, if compressing that wage scale. And what we're talking about today really is around wage, wage compression, r- reducing the value of other jobs because you've increased the salary of another job. If you're going to remember one term or one saying from today, it's going to be that all boats rise with the tide. And that's what we're trying to explain, is that when John's salary goes up, his hourly wage goes up to $15 dollars, him and Brittany are suddenly the same if she goes up to 15. We want to make sure that she goes a little bit higher to retain the difference between their roles. And more importantly, when with Rita, who was making $15 an hour and as an assistant manager, suddenly they're all making the same wage. If we do it the same way we've always done it, it's for us to standardize this approach. And it's called retaining job value hierarchy, avoiding wage compression. That's really the two guiding principles in our application. The way that it's done, in short, is You keep the difference, the relative difference between the jobs, and you maintain that as you increase the lowest paying job. So if John and Brittany had a differential between them, you maintain that differential, at least in relative terms, whether it's a percentage difference or a flat dollar difference, and you raise each job to keep and retain that difference. You're retaining. A job value hierarchy between them, and that recognizes different skills and recognizes the difference between those roles, and the a- additional duties that each of them is responsible for.
0: And then, how does this affect those that are not working at the minimum wage? Is this just kind of targeting? Uh, I hate to call it like a blue collar
1: type of work, or does this, a, or That's, are we I mean, going to the- see this in in the white collar work? You're not going to expect a wage compression to happen for a CFO. So if minimum wage goes up tomorrow, it's not going to impact. You're not going to see CFO raises immediately. What you'll see is that the trickle up effect, uh, for lack of a better term, will be that John will get his increase. Brittany will get her increase. Rita, the first level of management, will start getting her increase, depending on where their wage is. What analysis that we've done, and I'll take you a little history about how i got to learn this and how we devised this approach you will see that up to two times that minimum wage the new wage is what impacts people that impact flows up to 200% of the new minimum wage back in t- and i'll let me tell you a story back in 2016 the city of los angeles went moved forward with increasing their minimum wage for any operation within the city boundaries to 10.50 an hour it was the first time they had exceeded the California state minimum wage, they had always been higher than the federal minimum wage. I worked for a company at the time that was an airline caterer. So we had a significant operations at LAX. And this jump, this 50 cent jump above the uh, California state minimum wage was going to be significant. It wasn't a nickel and it wasn't a dime like it used to be. How do we share or increase the bottom of the, uh, the wage scale with a fifty percent, 50 cent increase when they're going to leapfrog the people above them? So, for example, a dishwasher rule was that was going to be moving to 1050. They were at nine, I believe, before that. And they were going to leapfrog ahead of a food preparer or somebody who was going to be making um, more than was making more than them previously. M- immediately, the way that they had been applying these increases in the past, it was causing attrition. People were leaving at the higher paying jobs, which was a surprise, and the skilled jobs. Because we had reduced their value and they had, they felt less valued, less engaged, and their experience was horrible. And they said, why would I work for this higher or more responsibility when I can make the same or close to that wage? So we devised this way of sharing the increase beyond those who were impacted directly by minimum wage increasing. Then the question from finance was who would pay for it? Yeah. And- it was expensive. It actually doubles almost on, on average, the cost of increasing the minimum wage, depending on your workforce. And we said the customers should pay it because ultimately that's the question you need to ask. Who's ultimately impacted by this at the end of the day? And it, they, we proved to the customers and my business case was you're increasing re- retention, increasing quality. Every metric that you use to measure performance for us as a contractor will be impacted by us retaining employees and having those who are skilled and motivated to do the job and not call out sick and not, you know, feel engaged. So we made the business case. We backed it up by a a top tier consulting firm who blessed it as best compensation practice using those two guiding principles of avoiding wage compression and retaining job value hierarchy. And we presented it to major airlines who all signed up and said at the end of the conversation, we will pay for this 100%, you can pass it through because it does impact us. And we were able to demonstrate improved retention, improved quality, better on-time delivery and less flat attendant comments, which is how airline catering is measured
0: wow well first and foremost congratulations and well done thank you yeah i mean how long did it take you to i mean it doesn't sound like simple there's no simple math there there's a a lot of obviously there's a lot of quantifying that you've got to do but there's some qualitative measures that go into that and i mean what were the steps that you had to take and again how long did it take to i guess to roll out and then to also see some of the measurable results
1: It went back to a a psychology and math lesson. That's really what we fell back on. First, to demonstrate the connection between minimum wage and people's uh, needs and being able to show up to work and and ultimate happiness. We based it off Maslow's hierarchy of needs and those are anchored by security and safety. And you don't have security or safety if you don't have income that can support you or your lifestyle. We built that and we established that as a common ground. We all agree that people need Baseline security and safety through income in order to be productive and and, uh, productive employees and engaged employees. Once we built off that, then we relied on linear progression, which is a mathematical concept that we, we used in the past to explain, in simplest terms, all boats rise with the tide. If you increase one, you should increase the ones who are related to it and who are next in line. That those two concepts. Boiling it down to their, their basic terms and something finance people, salespeople, customers, uh, anybody can understand and relate to, made the conversation much easier. But first in line was convincing our operations people to make sure that they were behind us and understood that this would improve quality and improve retention. Then it was convincing finance people that the calculations were sound. And then finally, our customer facing employees, our salespeople, in order to get the customers on board. The customers were the easiest part, because mm-hmm. by that time, sales, operations, and finance were all in lockstep. Well, And then how long did it take to implement? Implement was, I think the minimum wage went into effect on July 1st of uh, 2016. And we got approval, I think on July 26th, i uh, sorry, June 26th. And it was uh, pretty quick. Once everything was calculated, The communications to employees really was the easiest part. We flew out there and explained to employees how this increase was. And when HR flies in, people expect bad news. But we were excited to deliver that news. And that was a unionized workforce. So we actually gave the union a heads up and and told them this was happening. And and it was a win-win for everybody. There was really nobody who was disadvantaged by this because ultimately the airlines were happy and uh, the employees were happy as well. Yeah, you brought something up that I wanted to ask about, you know, the unions,
0: did they bring this to your attention or this is something that you're like, wow, we need to address this. Here's a solution. And you brought it to their attention.
1: No, it, it was our initiative because we were feeling the pain by paying performance guarantee penalties, by paying, impacting the the contract, impacting the operations of the airlines. The unions were not in, in favor of it in the beginning because it wasn't something they could take credit for. but. Huh. We ultimately made the business case, explained to them that we are going to be increasing. We didn't want anything in return from them. We just wanted to be able to maintain the business and not lose any any airline contracts. That's That That was the bottom line. That still it's amazes me that there was a little bit of pushback
0: from them, The you know, who are supposed to be representing the people that are going to benefit from this ultimate, well, I guess the client ultimately benefits, but clearly the union itself is benefiting.
1: Yeah. But I can tell you that the union raised their dues soon after. Anytime we gave an increase to employees, the, the dues uh, increases soon followed. Yeah.
0: My gosh. So ultimately though, who is benefiting the most? Is it the employee? Is it the company, the customer, the consumer? I mean, even the taxpayer. How are all of those parties affected?
1: I mean, I think everybody wins. There is no un- unhappy party. The employees are getting a bigger paycheck. The- The company is getting better results and better retention, reduce, I would call soft HR costs of attracting new employees and retraining employees. The customer is getting on time delivery. They're getting better quality, you know, applies to to other industries as well. And then ultimately taxes are, you know, and the localities are impacted because there's more spending power. People can afford to pay their bills. People can afford to, you know, save for retirement, save for vacations and that people can afford to take time off and address healthcare issues. That's a good point. You talked about trickle up, but this is a perfect example of trickle down, you know, yeah. all of these things. Yeah, uh, trickle so, everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Who are the, well, actually not to put you on the spot, but is it okay for those that are listening to you that might be thinking about doing something similar within
1: their organization to reach out? Absolutely. I mean, this is something, we shared this information with competitors. We shared it with other companies. We've shared it at conferences. It is really a new way of looking of, about minimum wage. And we want it to be the standard going forward. And I've applied it to subsequent employers after that. It is once you explain it to somebody in the way that, that you have, Adam, it really makes sense. And you don't look at minimum wage increases the same way again. So I am available. I would love to you know share any of the customer decks and be able to share the what I call the avoiding unintended consequences mm-hmm. of good things like minimum wage and making sure that we share that the wealth across employees. That's great. I love that. And I appreciate your availability to others to help benefit everyone. Do you have any predictions on how, you know, minimum wage is going to play itself out? I I think that we will probably get something somewhere closer to 15 over the next year. Federally? Federally or? Federally. I do believe a federal minimum. There are lots of states, localities, cities and counties that are You know, at 15, you'll see uh, New York and and Seattle, Los Angeles is making its way up there. The large population centers are already moving there. It is less. And more importantly, you see companies like Walmart pushing and already implementing minimum wages of $15. You will see that be less of a visceral fight in in Congress since there is a a majority uh, for Democrats in, in, in the Senate and in the house. So I do think it's going to happen. I do think there'll be some compromises along the way in order to to get those votes and make that happen, but it will be a staggered approach. We are less than half from $15 at federally, so 725 all the way there. It's not going to happen immediately, but maybe you'll see a jump to 10 and then uh jump to 15 by the end of the Biden and first Biden administration if there's more than one. Yeah, it's great. And and Do you feel or do you know if that you
0: were, you know, if there are any white papers done on what you implemented and if you were, in fact, pioneers in this space that have kind of led to others kind of using you guys as an example?
1: No white papers are out there. It's not about credit for us. It's really about making sure that we spread the news. I wish there was something somewhere I could share it. These are the kind of podcasts and mediums that I want to get on to make sure that people understand there are other ways and there are. You know, most HR people are thinking about how to apply minimum wage and would, will confront the John, Brittany and Rita paradigm when they are applying it. And I, they'll probably consider and think about, well, there's got to be another way of sharing or increasing how to share. And they might come up with it themselves. But what I'm here to say is that there is a path. There is a light into the tunnel. It is not that hard to convince the salespeople, the finance people and the customers is that eventually of the value of avoiding wage compression, sharing and, and retaining job value hierarchy. And really it's a conversation about unintended consequences. Mm. As an actuary, we apply decrements to large populations. And one of the things that always would make us think twice was the unintended consequences of somebody taking up paragliding with or as a hobby or driving without a seatbelt if you were doing auto insurance uh, calculations. Uh, unintended consequences is that person probably has a predilection to unsafe behaviors or would probably get hurt if there was a simple accident because they're not wearing their seatbelt. So this is a conversation about unintended consequences. It's is a conversation about avoiding wage compression and retaining job value hierarchy. Those are the three themes if you want to remember.
0: Them. Yeah, those are powerful. And then outside of connecting with you, are there any other resources or, or maybe it's even other podcasts that you'd suggest that other people listen to if they want to get more uh, knowledge and more insights and
1: tools on this kind of information. The Good Jobs Institute, that is a resource that I have used and worked with. It is a, a group of academics and business professionals, I believe out of MIT, who are, have gotten together to define what is a good job and what is the strategy behind devising? What, is, what, what are the components of a good job? They use Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. They use different components and help you measure the jobs that you offer as an employer. We bumped our job evaluations against their template and their guideline, and it helped us understand what employees value, what makes it a good job. So that's the goodjobsinstitute.org. You can visit it. A lot of good professionals there, a lot of good information that they have on their site. Excellent. That is great. So as we start to wrap up, is there any career
0: advice that you could just share in general? I mean, you've been able, you've pivoted your career. You've clearly been successful in both both paths. I love how you were able to kind of apply your previous career to what you're doing now. There's no question that you've leveraged that background into doing what you're doing. How'd you do it? And what would you suggest to other people that are looking to kind of
1: make a transition as well? I think the best way that, you know, or the best advice I ever got was really from from my father, which is half of the answer you're looking for is how you ask the question. You may be the smartest person in the room but as soon as you remind people of that you lose your leverage or you lose your authority approaching people in a way that is humble and modest is you know without making the decision for them on how to respect you or how much to respect you so there's two ways you can always approach people and it it helped me so much in my career to come into a room and being humble listening to people's concerns observing And, and listening to what they are, uh, what they're looking for, what their answers are and, and what they're searching for in terms of a solution. My advice to people would be, especially on this topic, educate your salespeople, educate your finance people on wage compression, on job value hierarchy. And not when the times get tough, when you need to pass through this increase, but have regular sessions where you explain to them concepts in HR, such as benefits or in compensation specifically, what are the best practices or compensation philosophy that you're guiding and using for your company? The more that they can speak in HR terms, similar to how we speak in finance terms during budgeting season, the more they speak in HR terms and use terms like wage compression and job value hierarchy, the easier your job will be when it when push comes to shove and you want to push through this increase or you want to make a business case Having those relationships and not having to educate them under pressure will do you a big favor. And I got to tell you,
0: I want to give you some kudos because you really kind of live by some of the advice that you just give. I remember when we first spoke, my I would kind of made some notes on you in our conversation. and One of the things that I highlighted actually was just how intelligent, but at the same time, how humble you were. So I think that you're clearly adhering to your dad's advice.
1: <laughs> so, I with- I didn't, I wasn't born that way. I learned the hard way. So,
0: (laughs) Good. (laughs) Whatever it's working. So hopefully uh, those that are listening, they don't necessarily have to learn the hard way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I got a lot of takeaways from this conversation, besides the fact that you're getting up at four in the morning and doing orange theory or you're out practicing being a a table tennis champ. There's some really good takeaways here. And I I guess I think what you highlighted is, is really kind of the main three themes and correct me if I'm wrong, was wage compression, retention and unintended consequences. Correct.
1: Yeah. yeah wage compression, uh, no, under retention, it's really around job value hierarchy and maintaining the the level of value for each job, given that the output that they, they produce. Mm. And as a result of all of that, all boats rise with the tides.
0: Exactly. There you go. Oh man. That's I've got to tell expensive. you. Great conversation. What did we miss?
1: I'm sure we will. I mean, we could go on, no, on for if, hours. No, what, you know, the last piece of advice is send this podcast to your finance people. They could listen to it. And I think the introduction is probably the best thing. It helps them understand wage compression and how to best apply minimum wage. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. I, I completely agree. And thank you for bringing that to my and everyone else's attention, Alison. No problem. Thank you, Adam. You got it. Make it a great day. You too. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up-to-date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.